we did all the things we said we wanted to do and we wonder why we're not happy. And I just think it's that taking stock of you know, what is your destination, being unapologetic about the fact that this is where you want to go with your life, what you want, what you want the journey to look like. What are those climate factors that could add risk? And where are you in that journey? And then putting together a system with the tactics to get there. The EOS life is doing what you love with people you love, making a difference, being compensated appropriately, with time for other passions. The EOS life. Hi, I'm Mark O'Donnell, visionary at EOS Worldwide, and I'd like to welcome you to another edition of the EOS Life podcast, where we explore the why and the how of entrepreneurs actively living their ideal life now, not later, and not in retirement. The world of entrepreneurial freedom and the impact on those around you depends on it. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Jerry Simpson. When Jerry founded KiteWire in 2007, he tapped into the B2G market with custom software development services, primarily for the Department of Defense. KiteWire was successful, pulling in about $4 million in revenues with about 40 highly skilled employees. But Jerry wanted more, something grander and more successful for both him and his staff. When he realized that the road his company was on would never become the grand vision that he imagined, Jerry launched his company on a journey that would change everything about how KiteWire did business and transform his company into a $55 million success story. Welcome to the show, Jerry. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So just tell me about yourself. You know, what do you do now? What is your role? What are you responsible for on a daily, weekly basis? So what does the day in life of Jerry Simpson look like? Sure. So I recently exited my last company, KiteWire, which you were kind enough to to mention just this last summer. And I've started a new company called Atlas Up. A lot of my life right now is hiring out our executive team. You know how, how that goes. It's actually, for some people, it's frustration. I love just trying to find the people that are the best at this position, particularly aiming at individuals that are considered unhirable because they, most of them run their own businesses and they're a kind of a category leader and trying to figure out how to join arms with me and co-found this thing with me and put it into terms that make sense for them. And, and just, you know, building out the team, setting the vision and trying to get things in motion, get all that momentum going that you need at the beginning uh, in the day to day. And the other part is I'm a dad, I'm a husband. It's been a tough pandemic on everybody all around. And so, you know, I'm trying to make sure that everybody's keeping calm and not letting the fear monsters in <laughs> and all the anxieties that come with this time as, as my responsibilities there. Yeah, for sure. So can you tell me a little bit about what the new company, what it is that you do for your clients? Is it similar to KiteWire, a little different? No, it's, it's completely different. So what we do is we build unstoppable plans for anything. And if you think, I don't, I don't know what you mean by that. That sounds catchy or silly. Think about Waze and what Waze does or Google Maps, if you've used either one of those. And think about the maturation of where we've been with street navigation. We used to committed to navigating you. Uh, it was like their full-time job. There was no relaxing in those days. And then we upgraded to MapQuest which was more frequently updated data about what was out there in the world. And then we updated to the Garmin, 
which was beautiful because it had your orientation on it. It always knew where you were. It had the directions. It could tell you at least where you were in that. It did not know if the roads had been updated. It did not know if there was an accident or a tire in the road or something like that. Then we got Waze and Google Maps. And what Waze does is it's the perfect synchronization of your destination, your orientation, where you are, and the climate. And it does that in real time all the time. And you don't go 10 minutes past your exit before you realize it. And then you don't have to stop and pull over and create a new plan. It keeps you moving no matter what happens. It builds you an unstoppable plan. And so we do that for for anything. Our primary customers that we started with is the Department of Defense, just because we think they're the hardest. They have the biggest, boldest missions, things like Operation Warp Speed and the vaccinations rolled out. They understand this problem very well because they admittedly don't know where they are in their orientation. They don't know what they even have towards their destination. So it's a technology that just automates all of that so that you miss a milestone. It says, cool, new plan. This is how much time, you know, sometimes you miss a milestone and you don't have a delay. Sometimes you do. You just need to know what it is, but you don't want to spend any time figuring out what the next steps are. And it just keeps everybody moving all the time. But it's all software. And it's it's definitely something that is um, to the point of trying to inspire individuals to join to join with us. It's an ambitious challenge, so it requires really, really bold talent, too. Yeah, I bet. And I'm just thinking like GPS for project work, right? You just right. follow the blue line and, you know, right. it gets you to where you want to go. So that's a really cool business. So as you know, the, the focus of this show, this podcast is to help other people discover their ideal lives by sharing the stories of ours. And so oftentimes that means that you weren't living your ideal life, the EOS life. And the EOS life is doing what you love with people you love, making a huge difference, being compensated well or appropriately, and having time to pursue other passions. So could you tell me the the moment in time where maybe you weren't living your ideal life and what was that thing, what was that moment that you came to that you just realized you had to change, something had to give? Yeah, I had a day where, like a lot of entrepreneurs do, I was feeling unmotivated. I had, I knew what I needed to do. I had what I, why I believed it was urgent. I just wasn't feeling that get up and go to get out of bed and do it. And then another day like that happened and another day, you know, three, four days in a row string up like that. And, and that's my alarm that says, you don't want your dreams. You're whatever you staked in the ground that is your dream. You don't want it or you would get up and go. You're unmotivated to do it. The work that it takes to get there isn't worth it. And you need to move or recalibrate what your, what your dream actually is. And we do this thing where we tend to set our dreams inside of our beliefs of what we believe we're capable of. So we don't say, the first thing we do is say, well, what do I think I could accomplish? And there's a fence there. And then we set our dreams right inside of that. And that's often why we don't feel motivated. So I tried to just kind of meditate and blow all that away and think, what do I really want? It's not a boat or a thing. It's like, what do I want to experience? How do I want to grow? What do I want to contribute? A lot of those things that you talk about in the EOS life. And I realized that my problem was that we think about dreams so much about the future. And what I really wanted was right now. I wanted right now to be able to be a very present father 
in my kid's life. I wanted to be, you know, physically healthy and tend to those things, not burned out and tired all the time. And I was having a conversation with another dad who told me he read a stat and I'm going to butcher the stat. I don't remember exactly what it was. We'll just, this is fictitious, but it was in this realm. It was like 89% of all the time you'll spend with your children is before they graduate high school. And I thought, gosh, you know, oh. my, kids are, my kids are like, yeah, that's going to go by in a blink of an eye. That's, yeah. that's 89% of all the time we'll spend with them is before that. And then the guy I was talking to said, yeah, and they only worship you for the first 10 to 12. <laughs> if that. Right, if <laughs> that. If you're, if you're, if you're lucky, 10. you know. Right. Right. So, you know, you got some years in that in, that are encapsulated in there that they're going to be trying to do everything they can to get away, you know, not be near you. It's just their nature. And I felt the urgency of that weigh on me and thought, no, I need, I need now, I need now this time while my kids are into me and to be just a very, very present in my home and not working 60 hours and, you know, commuting 10 and traveling all the time and those things, which is really what got me focused on, okay, I'm going to work less. I want the people that are working with me to have this too. We need to build some constructs that make us hyper-efficient. So it's about productivity and not being handcuffed to a desk for an amount of time. Right. So when, when you think about that, that moment, realizing that that stat, which probably sounds right to me, my, my daughter is about, she's a senior in high school and you know, you're starting uh, to now see, I'm sorry I said oh it. <laughs> man, oh, it's so terrible. I mean, it's great, but at the same time you're yeah. like, ah, oh, man, right. maybe she can just like live at home and go to school right. online or something. <laughs> um, so my question for you is with that moment, thinking about the kids, thinking about all that. And you mentioned in the beginning of our conversation here that you exited KiteWire. Mm-hmm. Did that exit have in the decision to sell the business that moment that the time with the kids, did that have anything to do with that? Is that related at all? I would say that decision had more to do with a passion. So I had all I had shifted towards the end of my time at KiteWire. Uh, I had already shifted into changing. Actually, January 1st, 2020, right before the pandemic, I made a huge shift in just how I work and how that's going to be. And my transition out of KiteWire was more about pursuing things I'm really passionate about. Mm-hmm. Um, I had already made the moves towards, you know, being able to be involved in things outside of work that I was passionate about and having that really nice balance in life that I wanted to. I'm invested in Calm, the meditation app. Yeah. And they had, we had LeBron James do a series for Calm. And he's the best because he takes his recovery more seriously than everybody else does. He learned, at least in his later years, to, he could leave everything on the court, knowing he was going to go into full recovery mode right afterwards. A lot of players are like, they're in New Orleans. They're going to go to a nightclub afterwards. And they know they're reserving a little energy for that. And then he just takes his recovery more seriously than anybody. And I had pondered the idea of a four-day work week. And it just never felt right to me. And listening to the way he was talking inserted the idea in my mind about what if, for some reason, anytime someone said four-day work week, I thought Friday's off. It's just the way I automatically formatted it in my mind. And I thought, what if we did Wednesday off? And thinking about the way a basketball schedule is very kind of intermittent like that. And I thought, you know, the reason that, that 
Fridays off never sounds that great to me is because we're all burned out like midday Thursday anyways. So, you know, to keep going with Fridays is, doesn't make a lot of sense, but it just didn't seem like a solve. And I thought, what if we did, if, what if our work days were two, three and a half hour periods and we took a nice rest in the middle and then we broke the middle of the week up just the same way, took Wednesdays off and came back. You never have more than two days of working without a break. Mentally, that's really nice. I, I'm never, every day feels like Thursday or Friday. And let's just give it a shot and see how it goes and see if the scarcity of time actually mm -hmm. creates efficiency. And if people are just excited and motivated by the fact, if I can buckle down, not spend the first half of my Monday morning talking about Sunday night football at the water cooler, you know, if I can just buckle down and be very efficient, the reward is my time back. And will that work? So just kind of a theory or, or a thesis. I noticed the first quarter, we were incredibly more productive and COVID hit towards the end of that quarter. And so then I was thinking, well, now it just feels requisite. There's so much stress and burnout and people are managing kids at home and all these things. Now it just feels like we've got to keep going this way just to manage everything that's happening. But you know, quarter after quarter, I was seeing just so much more productivity and I was a lot happier able to spend, I, I do dad school with my kids on Wednesday where I think about all the things that the school system isn't gonna teach them and really isn't their place or responsibility to. And you know, we go to the beach or we go to the playground or something like that and just go through these things that I want them to know. It's you know just the coolest part of my life. And it's a reward that's right here and right now. And every day I think if I can stay productive at work, if my team can stay productive, I can have this reward again and again and again and it's not this thing that's way off in the distance yeah that, i mean that that's amazing and it reminds me of parkinson's law parkinson's law states that everything expands and contracts to the time and space allotted mm. so you what you're doing is you're contracting the the time and the space allotted for work and mm. well now you get more done and you force the efficiency that and that's just a fantastic way to do it it also reminds me of Dan Sullivan, and as you're talking about LeBron James, Dan Sullivan, that strategic coach, he has what's called the entrepreneurial time system, which is set up with free days, 24-hour period, no work. Buffer days are essentially like practice days. And then mm -hmm. focus days are the money-making activity or game day. And so it's right. really about... You know, you have game day, right? You're full on, but then you go into a buffer day and that's your rest, recovery. You go to a free day where also is rest and recovery. But uh, you have this kind of practice schedule, which is really interesting to, to think about. Yeah, I'll say that if you don't mind me, uh, there's a concept around there too that I kept thinking about, which was I noticed this trend where businesses are telling employees, I'll give you this much time off to go exercise or this much time off to go meditate or this much time to go learn something. And I, I don't mean to poo-poo any of those businesses. It's just my, my belief that that's babysitting. And so what I will do is almost every Tuesday, I remind people, you can do whatever you want with your time off. Some suggestions are, and people tell me that they really appreciate the reminder, learn something new contribute in your community, um, build on your relationships, your personal relationships, get some pesky tasks off your hand, uh, just off your back so that they're not stressing you out and not thinking about it and work on your physical and mental health. And the other part of it is I know people are working a lot when they're not hands on keyboard. 
they're working in the shower, they're working in the car while they're driving or whatever they're doing. And we don't give people credit for that time. And it's meaningful, valuable time to the business. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we advertise, you know, 28 hour weeks. But the truth of the matter is, is people are working 40. They're just not doing it hands on keyboard yeah. in, the, in that time. And so it's a, it's a bit to, to do what you're talking about is that be in your head, thinking about the problems, not in the urgency of the situation, but working at a high level, trying to say what what would really make some of these problems stop happening altogether? Right. Giving them the space to, to think clearly and and all that. Here at EOS Worldwide, we have unlimited vacation for our people because they're you know, adults, they don't, you know, <laughs> they don't need to be told. We just said, picked a Wednesday, random Wednesday and said, you know what, everyone just, just go do what, you know, recover, do whatever you want. Just give a day back to people. And uh, it was really appreciated and everyone was energized around it. And you do that every Wednesday. So uh, maybe that's something to, to think about there. I always try things as a pilot so I can take them back if I don't want it. And then after <laughs> right. enough data, I'm like, okay, the pilot is ending. Yeah, right. No, this it's going to actually become a policy. Yeah, for sure. So I want to rewind just a little bit in the conversation to, you know, you're working 60 hours a week, you're traveling all over the place. And a lot of people who are listening to this podcast are there right now. They don't have the particular luxury of, of working 28 hours just, you know, on a mm -hmm. uh, snap of a fingers. What is the very first step that you took in order to start down that path of, hey, there's more to life than what I'm doing with my work. I want to be with the kids. What's the first thing you did? What was the start? The very first thing that I did was think, well, we're not going to be able to do any of this if we're not being efficient and don't have a system to do that. And we're not going to be able to do it if we don't have the right people. And I, you know, it was just a really good in, inflection moment to sit and think, is the team all right? Are they the right people, the right seats, as you say in EOS? And are they going to be focused on the right things? I, one thing I always tell my team is, look, I'm just like you. I grab it easy, low-hanging fruit, too. I think things are momentous. If I start surfing on the web, it can roll into three hours. If I don't have time, then work gets momentous and I start rolling it that way. I've told, I was sharing with my uh, EOS uh, implementer, Andrea Jones, who's the absolute best. I have to my left, I write down our, our scorecard, anything that is red. I write it on that whiteboard. And it's my reminder that when I walk in, first thing I do is look over there and say, if anything is red, there's a lot of things I could do today. There's things I'm good at. There's things I like doing. There are low-hanging fruit I can grab just to make myself feel good. But it is my job to make sure that there is nothing on that board that in, on our scorecard that is red, and I must take immediate action to turn those things around. And I trained my team to do the same thing. There's so many things we could do. But we're not going to get to keep this lifestyle that they want if they're not going to be hyper-focused on the things that are actually going to move the business. And knowing, you know, the best way for me to get the lifestyle I want is to make sure that my team has it and that we're all at jeopardy of losing it together if we all can't be running on the same system. I do a thing with my rocks where I make a vision of, of what it is of the life I want. For me, that's really easy because it's the life I have. I'm not thinking about something in the future. So I just take a picture of me and myself and my kids doing dad school on Wednesday put it up there and then I use it. Do you know Mix Styles, the company they make? You can print like pictures from your phone. You can just send them pictures and they'll send you these squares that you can stick onto anything. 
So I make an illustration out of our rocks and I stick it on top of my vision. So it's blocking my vision. <laughs> and, and it's annoying me, you know, and I'm sitting there thinking, and then when I, when we knock one off, I take it off of there. And, and I've just got all of my team running on the same page there mm-hmm. and reminding ourselves, Hey, uh, my chief of staff too is also really great. She'll see me start to run down something and she's like, this is Jerry's his sweet spot. He's so good at this, but it's just not the most important thing we need to do right now. And I need to use safe word to, <laughs> to challenge him and say, like, is that the thing that you're supposed to be doing right now? And, uh, and kind of pull me back on, onto my task. And it's just this constant reminder of, listen, we all like this lifestyle. And if, if it's not the lifestyle you like, it's really not for everybody. Then this probably isn't the place for you, but everybody that's here does. And we're all in jeopardy of losing it together if we can't be hyper-efficient. So it, to answer your question in the most long-winded format, it's getting the team buy-in yeah. on, do we all want this? Does this make sense? Do you think we can do it? Do you buy in on my theory? How should we test it? And how are we going to be hyper-efficient uh, getting it done? And also kind of making sure, you know, as entrepreneurs, we're so good about creating the life we want, and we don't necessarily lend some of these tools downward. But the thing I was excited about EOS Life is... Because my team's familiar with EOS, it's an entrepreneur's thing that can be felt all the way through. Like everybody in the company should be checking those boxes that you talked about to say, you know, are they fulfilled in all those categories? But entrepreneurs tend to go do this cool training and they do these amazing things that enrich their lives. And everybody below them doesn't get the opportunity to do those things. And so, but if you can, and you're all in sync together and you're all in jeopardy of losing those things together, and it creates this really tremendous alignment you know, I talk a lot about, there's this fad about culture in the last decade, as you, as you know, and I met so many CEOs that think, oh, we need culture. We'll go buy foosball tables and, and look at taps. <laughs> but we still and, all hate each other. <laughs> right. We still hate each other. And, you know, we do a lot of work with the Department of Defense. And I thought about, I just kind of thought about who is the, organ, what is the organization I've experienced in my life that has the strongest culture? And what are, what is it that I could extrapolate out of that? And I thought, the Navy SEALs, they have such a strong culture. Mm -hmm. They have no nap pods. It's horrible conditions that they work in. But they're accountable to each other for a common mission. And they have each other's backs. And, you know, really orbiting around those things. We have this, we have a, having to have that common mission together, not just, hey, I want to do really well. And I'm going to do that by you working your tail off mentality. And that's exactly right. What the way we think about EOS life is that, yeah, it does start with the entrepreneur because the entrepreneur typically has the freedom to do that, uh, to go pursue those five points of the EOS life. Then it's the integrator and then the leadership team. And what a world it would be if everyone is like your company and to the lowest levels of every organization, to the frontline employees where they can have a picture of their their kids on the wall and their rocks are blocking their view, right? <laughs> the yeah. obstacle is the way, right? Right, uh, right. And, and just, That's actually required reading in my company, the obstacle is the way. <laughs> yeah, uh, Ryan Holiday our, did a great job with that. <laughs> one of our core values is um, opportunity knocks. And the, saying I, the thing I say is uh, everything that knocks you down is really opportunity saying hello, open the door. 
So I love I love Ryan Holiday references there. Yeah. Just think about the improvement that children would have, the improvement that parents would have, that relatives would have. Everyone thought in those terms as opposed to, you know, trying to get ahead and trying to work 80 hours a week and wearing that time like a badge of honor uh, and saying, well, you know, I work 90 hours a week, so I must be better than you in some way. That's not what life is all about. When you're old and in the nursing home, you probably want people that Bronnie Ware, she's uh, an Australian hospice nurse, and she wrote a book called The The uh, Five Regrets of the Dying. Mm, and that sounds good. I totally recommend it. And I would encourage any listener to just go and Bronnie Ware, B-R-O-N-N-I-E, Ware, uh, W-A-R-E, and The Top Regrets of the Dying. And it's no surprise Uh, that you'll find there. Like everyone regretted working too much. Everyone regretted not being free to be themselves. Mm -hmm. And I think there's just a deep, deep lesson in that. And so living the EOS life at every level of the organization is the goal for sure. I love that. Yeah. So I'm assuming as you made these changes, you're working the 28 hours, you, you have dad school, which how old are your kids now? Five and seven. Five and seven. Yeah, they definitely still like you. Yeah, uh, they're in that. <laughs> they got to capture it now, though. You, yeah. you definitely do. You definitely do. My 18 and 15-year-old are like, yeah, whatever, Dad. <laughs> Stop trying to teach me something. Yeah. Uh, but the nine-year-old, you know, she she still listens and, and enjoys her parents' company. Loves the attention still. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And, you know, watching her do handstands and, you know, look at me type stuff. So we, we, your personal life, you, you making all this time for family, focusing on the things that are important to you, you're surrounding yourself with people you love. You are doing what you love. You're making an impact on your employees. And, and I would imagine with your uh, involvement with Calm, is there any other types of things that you're focused on in terms of making a huge difference? Thanks for asking. You know, it's... um. My mentor, Louis Schiff, that introduced the two of us together yeah. from the Birthing a Giants program, he serendipitous because I was living in D.C. and he was he was doing his Birthing a Giants program. They do it twice a year and it happened to be at UCLA. And he always makes sure that during the program, we get some time to do some philanthropy. So he had asked somebody here, like, what could we get involved with and make a difference? And they took us to this place called Homeboy Industries. And Homeboy Industries, it, I'm telling you, it is, it is a magical place. They are doing something really special there that should be replicated in every community. They are taking formerly, not always incarcerated, but usually formerly incarcerated gang members, people that have deep roots in gang life. They were in gang life, many of them third or fourth generation gang members, and helping them figure out a life outside of gang life. And, you know, we went in there, we heard some really powerful stories and got the opportunity to do some kind of just rapid fire mentorship with a couple of people there. And I just, my heart just gripped to this place and stayed involved, took people's numbers, was Zooming with them when I was in DC, calling them on the phone. And so as soon as I moved to LA, the first thing I wanted to do was go get really involved in that community. And what I found was, you know, so there are people that are 
they're working in a, they call it homeboy industries because it is a, it is a business and they're using this business as the you know as we all entrepreneurs know businesses are really vehicles and the reason that most entrepreneurs love entrepreneurship is they're vehicles that put us in front of amazing people they teach us incredible things you know allow us to grow and learn and just be in this orbit of all of, it's like the money and the accolades and the prizes are one thing it's the river that it puts you in and all the things that you get to experience in that journey that i think is the root of what people never want to give up mm-hmm. and i'm realizing that that's they're using this business as as this vehicle for an alternate life and teaching them all kinds of things and i i started talking to the people there and said you know there's so many kind of little entrepreneurs inside of this business i'd love to just sit and workshop with them some of the things they're going through and demystify business for them so uh, the first thing i do is this workshop there's a woman there who makes this incredible jewelry there's somebody who has like a recipe like just one food item tamales recipe item sells them out of their trunk and somebody else who's got like a t-shirt uh print shop and they're just doing these little businesses kind of ad hoc because they've learned some skills through the industry and i say you know how are you marketing and i get a little bit of blank stares and I said okay marketing something you believe you don't know something you believe you don't have any experience with let me tell you what marketing is marketing is how do people find out that you're you're in business how do people become aware that you have a product or service to sell that's all that it is there's nothing you know special about it. there's all kinds of neat tricks and stuff but it's just letting people know hey we're in business and then you can see that like oh i was thinking marketing was something i'm I'm not able to do. Yeah, you're able to tell people that you're in business. Let's let's just go through these things one at a time. And I kind of use like a lemonade stand as my basic example for everything. Yeah. You know? And you know, if you took a basic lemonade stand, how could you get more people? How could you move the location? How, you know, what else could you upsell? And what's incredible to me is how many business things these people already knew from what they were doing in gang life really well. Yeah. And I had one guy say, oh, you know, the, the profits on this are terrible. So what do you mean? And he said, it's like 20% profit. And I said, but what did you do before you came here? He said, well, I sold drugs. And I said, what was the profit on that? And he said, it was like 500%. And I said, <laughs> I said but the, what was the price? And he goes, oh, we sold. And I said, no, no, no. What was the price? You just told me you did 20 years in prison. That was the price. That was the real price that was factored in there. And what I'm telling you is this is not going to send you to prison. There is no risk factor there. And I mean, just seeing these individuals for the great people that they are for the, the growth that's happening with them for the parents that they're getting to be able to be that their parents were not able to be. And also just understanding, you know, I'm learning so much about a job doesn't solve everything. A lot of these individuals have had a lot of traumas and things like that and how to get through some of those things. So it's just, it was serendipitous that that happened to be an LA thing and I happened to move to LA and that it's all kind of orbits around business and using that as a catalyst to change life circumstances. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's really a, it is an opportunity for those individuals. You talk about the woman with the tamale business out of her trunk. It's part of her unique gifts to the world, right? Like how do you amplify those unique gifts and tell everyone about it and get a line out of that, that trunk. And maybe one day the trunk turns into 
a storefront or whatever it turns into, it's such a an opportunity incrementally, slowly over time, no 500% margins. <laughs> right, right. I mean, it is though, because Homeboy Industries makes a guacamole that is in Whole Foods. And so I had to use that. I was like, this was whose whose recipe was it? It was somebody's recipe here. Yeah. And they, they were like trying to figure out like, where did the recipe originally come from? Like, well, it was somebody's recipe here. And now it's in Whole Foods, making money to support this whole industry that you have here that's that's providing all kinds of services for all these people that want to change their life. So somebody turned a guacamole recipe into a life. That's right. <laughs> and, and and it's just one thing, you know, and I'm telling you, you can turn this tamale recipe into a life. Yeah. Well, clearly you're passionate about homeboy industries. And so on, on that topic, uh, how would someone support homeboy industries? Is there a way that people can can help or oh, yeah. uh, anything um, like that? So it's, uh, I believe it's homeboyindustries.com. They're based out of LA. Like I said, if you, if you see their stuff in Whole Foods, but you, you can buy it. What I have encouraged people to do is just take some time, reach out on the website and say, I'd like to just get to know one of these individuals and hear their story. And then invite those, once, once you do, invite them to be like a guest speaker at an all hands meeting in your company. And the level of perseverance and understanding about you know, who they are as actual individuals and even their ability to take responsibility for any crimes that they have committed and then understand how much value they still have, even though they have a criminal record, I think changes a lot of people's minds about their hiring practices mm-hmm. right there. And I think just think that's one of the best things Homeboy Industries is doing at Words is just so if, if you talk to them and get to know them and, and see what's going on, I think these people could could really change some of our workplace hiring habits. But if you're in LA, definitely go do a tour, send a check. <laughs> Checks are helpful, to say the least. <laughs> yep. uh, take somebody to lunch there, have a meeting over there instead of um, at Starbucks. Very nice. So Jerry, clearly you are living your EOS life, your ideal life. And what would be the number one piece of advice other than everything that we've talked about for the person who's listening to this podcast, what's your, what's your number one advice? Well, how do you get started? What would you say to them? You know, this genuinely is not meant to be a plug of my business, but to just start in life with those basic concepts of understanding what is your destination? Mm-hmm. Where is it you want to go? Be really dissective about that. I talked to a friend of mine. She said, I want to own a house in the South of France. And I said, that's a very specific place. And you want to be the deed holder of a property in a very specific location. I said, stop. What, do you, what is it that you want out of that? You want to experience something? You want to brag about it? You know, what is it? Just you don't have the answer for me. Just what is, and get really true with what it is you're trying to experience. What is your destination? What do you want the journey to look like? And try to understand where you are in that journey. And as just sort of that that very first, like understand your business in that cycle, understand your life in that cycle, and then try to put the tactics in place that would get you there. I think we are being very mimetic, like, like minds, where we just think, oh, I don't know, Sally did this and everyone celebrated her, so I'll go get that handbag and drive that car and live at, you know, do these things and people will celebrate me. And we get jerked into a path that is not really our own, as you said, our authentic path. And then we wonder why we're not happy. 
we did all the things we said we wanted to do and we wonder why we're not happy. And I just think it's that taking stock of you know, what is your destination, being unapologetic about the fact that this is where you want to go with your life, what you want, what you want the journey to look like. What are those climate factors that could add risk? And where are you in that journey? And then putting together a system with the tactics to get there. Yeah, very nice. And it, it's funny, you mentioned you kind of do these things and then you, you're you not happy and you're kind of wondering why. <laughs> right. I think there, there's a lot baked into that. One of the uh, books that I'm reading now is Gap and Gain by mm-hmm. Dan Sullivan and Dr. Benjamin Hardy, who talks about this concept of the gap, meaning you have these expectations, right? The, you, have, you want the house in the south of France or whatever it might be, and you get it, and you're sitting on the front patio looking out at the Mediterranean, or I suppose whatever you look out in the south of France, right. <laughs> I think it's the Mediterranean, uh, and you're still not happy, and you wonder why. And the reality is you just are not celebrating your gains and your the goal line at the horizon, the thing that you want is always moving there. And it's so looking out and observing the gains that you've made, the progress that you made, and being really satisfied and celebrating those wins, I think is a really important component of the entrepreneurial journey of living your ideal life as you go along that path. I just came out of a call. What way I found out about EOS in the first place is I'm in a group called Mastermind Talks Groups. That's how I actually found out about EOS. And I was annoyed because I was like, how many people are doing this? It's like half the group. I'm like, why was nobody telling me about it? I'm just kind of <laughs> irritated that, that yeah. I'm learning about it this late. But I was just in a call with that and they asked, what books are people reading? And like 20% of the people said that books. So now it's now that it's come up twice in two hours. I'm definitely going to have to buy that. Oh, you, you definitely have to buy Gap and Gain. Of all the strategic coach concepts that I've uh, been exposed to, I've been in strategic coach for eight years. Gap and Gain has been one of the most impactful overall, but you get off track. And so the the, the book is just a complete reminder of just celebrating progress, celebrating the journey, looking back and being happy with your progress. Because a lot of people, you know, if you're at Homeboy Industries and you're selling tamales out of the back of your car, you might be very unhappy with where you're at, where you're sitting. Because you're looking at the, maybe the person who has the guacamole in Whole Foods and, and that can paralyze people and mm. instead of with that comparison there, as opposed to saying, hey, two years ago I was in prison, now I'm making money selling tamales out of the back of my car. And so I, you know, we can be really happy and, and celebrate that. Uh, so it's just a really interesting kind of let overlay. Me, let me ask that. you. Mm-hmm. Do you think that part of that is because, you know, everybody asks us, well, what are you doing all the time? And we feel compelled just to give an answer that will satisfy the person on the other end of the conversation. And then maybe we just we start spitting that plan out to other people. And then we start following the plan because then they're going to follow up. How's that going? Oh, I know someone's going to ask them to see them. I gave them this plan last time. I really just wanted to satisfy them socially. And they're going to ask me for progress. I better make some progress on this plan. That wasn't even something that they wanted. Do you think that that's part of something our culture does habitually that continuously just sort of falsely encourages that habit? 
Oh, for sure. Because if like my daughter's going to college, inevitably, I did not personally go to college. I was homeschooled. I eventually went to college later, but I had a very specific purpose for it. It wasn't because because most of my friends and family members, you know, you, you go to public high school. Then when you graduate, you go to college. Then when you graduate college, you get a job and then you get married and then you have kids and then you die. Yep. <laughs> right. right. Um, most entrepreneurs are entrepreneurs because they don't follow the the path most traveled because there is an expectation. There is a comparison. There is this path that people think they have to take to become someone they think they want to be. But they never, to your point, they never really ask who they really want to become. Who are they really and what's the best path for them to get there and then celebrating the progress along that path. And I would imagine, Jerry, you didn't follow the typical path either. <laughs> no, no, I didn't. It's sort of, to your point, what you were saying, when I was graduating from high school, I, which to be frank and transparent, I never, never attended high school, but I was very good at uh, adopting enough teachers into my plan to pass me through and realize that the, at least the public school system is highly incentivized to pass you through. Everybody would say, where are you going? I didn't want to be this, this loser kid that wasn't going to do the thing that everybody else was going to do. So I went to college and I didn't have any place to live. So I moved in like the first day they would let you. And I had saved up enough money and had a, a partial scholarship that saved up enough money for a year and moved in and immediately thought, what am I? I had a lot of alone time because no one was, nobody moves in the three weeks early but they'll, they, that they'll let you move in. And I thought, what am I doing? I do not have enough money to finish college here. I, also, I am a horrible student. This is just not a format that works for me ever. What am I going to do? And I decided about a, two and a half weeks before school started that I was never going to attend class that I was gonna start a business then. And I started my business. It was perfect because it was a dot-com and it was the age of dot-coms. You really couldn't have a dot-com if you didn't have a, what was a, called a T1 internet connection at the time. And that was unaffordable. You had to be a Fortune 500 company, the government uh, have hundreds of millions of dollars of venture capital or be at a university. And, <laughs> And I thought, well, you know, really, you could get this T1 line for the price of a year's tuition. I could get room and board, a meal plan, and I needed server space, which they they had. And I would use all of the professors like consultants. I would go to the law professor and like unfold all the stuff I had and say, listen, I don't know that this is and this is and this is. And he would say, which one of my classes are you in? <laughs> and I would say... I'm not in any of your classes, but I am a customer here. And I understand you're supposed to be here during these hours. You know something valuable, and I'm the one that wants to hear it. And I would say, I'm working on this.com. Can you help me out? And they would just rip through it with me. I'd go to the marketing department and say, don't do things in theory. Let's do them in practice. I have a .com, which excited people. And let's just it's not going to damage me if it doesn't work. Let's just use whatever we could workshop together as a class and, and put it in and, and just use that like a runway. I thought I've got, uh, I think you, I could be in there for eight and a half months before they would kick me out. And um, 
I actually asked them, like, well, if I do nothing, what will happen? And the first thing they said was, well, you'll go on academic probation. And I said, but you won't remove me, like, physically from... <laughs> and they said, no. And I said, okay. And then another semester goes by, and I do nothing. They're like, then we will remove you. You will not be allowed to stay here. But uh, so I just thought about that, like, runway. And I thought, okay, I've got eight and a half months of runway to get this thing off the ground and make my dot-com work. And it was just lucky because my my real my goal wasn't to make a successful business. It was to make portfolio work so I could get a job that I could show people and say, look, I made this thing. Give me a job. And um, the business started to make money. The business I made was very much like Amazon. It was called mousemalls.com, like a computer mouse. Mm-hmm. And you could buy anything you wanted to on it. I was actually just showing my wife like what it looked like the other day. <laughs> She was like, doesn't look great. I was like, it was 1998. Yeah, yeah. Um, And uh, I eventually sold it to Amazon. They must have been threatened by you, so they wanted to take it off the market. Yes, well, I didn't, they weren't threatened by me. That's what I didn't understand. I I didn't know it was a broker that did it, and I didn't know anything about M&A or anything. I just, a check came. I said, uh, I just sort of sensed that they could write a bigger one, although I would have taken that one. And I said, uh, you could do better than that (laughs) with my pompous, like, teenage self. And the guy did come back with a bigger check. He probably could have done better. I don't know. But um, I took his second check, and then I became to understand who he represented. And I, I thought, well, you just said it. I thought, what? I don't even step on the toes of Amazon. Why would they come by me? I have, There's no way this is beneficial to them. And he broke it down for me and said, I used some criteria to find you. Venture capitalists are using the same criteria to find somebody like you. And my job is to get to you before they do so that they don't go pump $100 million into you and make a problem for Amazon. Mm. And so I've just eliminated that problem <laughs> from happening. And, and I thought the brilliant thing for me was that they didn't want me to do anything. I didn't have to work. It was like half insulted, half thrilled that I didn't have to do anything. I told that story to the CEO of Walmart at the time. And he laughed and he goes, that's what we should have done to Amazon. Then <laughs> <laughs> they had the opportunity to do yeah, that. Yeah, like, yeah, we Declined. had the opportunity. <laughs> we should have done to Amazon what they did to you. Yep. And uh, we had a good laugh and chuckle about that. that. That's funny. Yeah, so that does not sound like a traditional path to me. <laughs> no, it's not terribly traditional. I, again, school is just not a f- format that works for me. I have so many friends where it's a perfect format for their learning. I, I've been introspective about why that is, but it's... It feels like, especially at a big university, which is where I had gone to start my business, there's 200 kids in a class with one person speaking. And my brain just constantly would say, I mean, anything that one person is going to come in and share with 200 people can't be that valuable. Yeah. Come in, I would break it down to the hour and say, this is not that valuable. I want to know the things that can't just be bought and taught. And what are those things and how can you learn them? Most of that is just exploring uh, and trying and tinkering, which is sort of the, you know, the trait of most entrepreneurs is to get in there and get your hands dirty and try it yourself and see what you find. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I've been guilty of tinkering a little bit here and there myself. <laughs> <laughs> so is there anything else you'd want to share to our, our listeners of people who are striving to live the EOS life to... Uh, run a better business or anything like that before we sign off? You know, it's it, everybody hears it a lot, which is the uh, you got to spend time working on the business and all the time in the business. And, you know, I just really encourage people not to brush that off. 
to have clarity time, clarity breaks where they, they take their hands off the keyboard and they go sit outside or sit anywhere and think, what are the really big things that would move mountains in my business? And then there's another exercise that goes along with that that I do where uh, I tell my people, okay, our, our five-year goal, let's just say you went into a coma right now. And it's a year from now and I woke, I woke you up out of the coma and I say, Jamie, guess what? We got all of our five-year goals done in a year. Now you tell me what you assumed must have had to happen for that miracle to happen. <laughs> and she went, well, you know, you must have had formed an amazing partnership with blah, and you must have blah, and this becomes the roadmap, the blueprint. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of a mad, and you get each person to do it and you see what's common. Oh, that's interesting. Everybody had it on their mind that this assumption must have had to happen. The only way we could have done our five-year plan in one year would have been if these things happened. And then how much of that is actually doable? Mm -hmm. And what is the effort it takes to find out if it's doable? And so, you know, and again, that's still hands-off keyboard time. That's, you know, thinking on the business. And that's, that exercise has been really valuable for me. I challenge people to try to figure out why they think it would take five years or 10 years to do their five or 10-year goals. And is there a way it could be done in a year? Is there a way their year goals could be done this quarter? Yeah, very nice. Uh, it reminds me of a quote I use often, especially for people who are striving to live their ideal life or their EOS life, is a quote from Epictetus who said, how long will you wait until you demand the best for yourself? How long will you wait? And mm. so doing that exercise is a, is a great setup to stop waiting and get moving. <laughs> a, a quote from Epictetus as well. I'm going to butcher it, but it's something like, you know, it matters not which port you sail. Uh, if you don't know, if you don't know which port you sail, no wind is favorable. That's and right. so that's just kind of a, a capitalization or punctuation on my point earlier about know your destination. Yeah, for sure. Well, Jerry, thank you for your, your time today. I really appreciate it. Where's the best place for our listener to learn more about you and get in touch? All of my information is under our team information, which is atlashub.com slash team. And I'm on LinkedIn. I'm very approachable on LinkedIn. I'm not one of these people that ignores. If you're not pitching me, if you just want to say hi and network and get to know each other, if you're not in-mailing me, uh, yeah. <laughs> then I'm very, I like to, I like to meet people. I like to find out what they're doing. I love learning about other businesses that people are running and, and what they're passionate about. So that's a good way too. Perfect. All right, Jerry, thank you very much. Thank you. It was great talking to you, Mark. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I hope you got value from today's episode. Remember to ask yourself, how long will you wait until you demand the best for yourself? How long will you wait until you live your ideal life, the EOS life?